0: So this is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, and this is ShrinkSpeak. Today, I'd like to speak about the use of recreational drugs to treat the psychological injuries of our military personnel. You may have noticed, I'm sure, that there has been a progressive relaxation of laws governing cannabis products. Simultaneously, there's also been the introduction of other previously banned, once what were recreational intoxicants, like psychedelics, like ecstasy, the use of various treatments for different conditions. All of this is occurring in a way which, I won't say clandestine, but is outside of the root of the development of treatments for medical illnesses in general, which is a process which pharmaceutical or biotechnology or device companies develop treatments targeted at different illnesses and that go through a very structured uh, FDA approval process. The use of these kind of recycled or proposed to be repurposed recreational intoxicants for legitimate medicinal uses is one which circumvents this process and is one that although holds potential for having therapeutic value, is being done for other motives. And the motives are not always in the interest of the patients that they're purported uh, to be treating. Uh, Some of it is trying to generate a new product that can be profitable for companies that uh, produce this. Others' motives are desperation on the part of either treatment uh, providers or, or patient populations to get something that's effective where nothing has been developed that's really alleviating this pain and distress and the symptoms of the illness. In any case, this is a process which is, requires understanding and, in my opinion, potential improvement. What I mean by that is this. Take cannabis, for example, which is really the leading edge of this. Cannabis is basically marijuana pot, something that was used uh, extensively in the 60s and thereafter as a recreational intoxicant. Its effects are relatively mild when used acutely. Chronic effects are not completely known but can be more serious and and enduring. But people like to use it. It didn't warrant criminalization in the way it had been and the process of first legitimizing it for medical use and then in some cases for recreational use has been a way of trying to correct that problem. The problem with this, as I see, is that we're using this excuse to make these things available for people to use as recreational intoxicants. And although there may be therapeutic value for treating people with intractable pain, for nausea, for uh, disorders that cause cachexia, that's weight loss uh, below a, a healthy level, it's not being done in a scientifically rigorous way to know what the real benefits or side effects or adverse effects are. Cannabis, when it's grown naturally, as it is in now all of the market products, contains hundreds of different constituents which are active. The one that's really prized for its recreational intoxication purposes is THC, tetrahydrocannabinol. However, there are many other constituents, some of which are very active and act in a different way than THC does. But we're using essentially naturally grown cannabis for a medicinal use. And there's no other precedent for this. And other medications that are in the PDR, Physicians Desk Reference, are approved by the FDA. So the point with cannabis is we're sort of relaxing its uh, prohibition under the guise of first sort of medical use and then secondly, even beyond that, for recreational uses and This is being driven just by the fact that people want to use it and don't want to be breaking the law for doing so. The medicinal use is something that's possible, but we don't really know because there haven't been adequate studies. And if there were adequate studies, we would want to know what the active ingredient is that's producing the therapeutic effect, not the whole substance in and of itself, which may contain things which are uh, either unnecessary or even detrimental. Now, beyond that, we have other recreational intoxicants, again products that were brought to the public awareness in the 60s and 70s in the context of the counterculture that are being also introduced in the guise of medical use. One of these is ecstasy, which is being purported to be a treatment for PTSD. Others include the hallucinogen or psychedelic drugs, psilocybin, mescaline, LSD. Uh, which are also being used for palliative care, for intractable types of mental disorders, addiction. And then the uh, other one that's very commonly used now is ketamine, which was a dissociative anesthetic used by anesthesiologists mainly for children and burn victims, uh, also known for its recreational purposes in clubs as Special K, um, which has been reintroduced for the purpose of, of treating refractory depression. Now, In the latter case, ketamine, this recreationally used drug has been reintroduced for medicinal purposes in the appropriate way for uh, treating depression and is now being extended to possible application with the military. Research has been done, uh, including by faculty at my institution, Columbia University, which shows that it can have a preventative effect on what we know as PTSD. Ironically, though, the notorious reputation of ketamine has prevented the DOD and the VA from investing in research to determine if this indeed is the case in clinical trials. That is an unbelievable irony, in my, in, in my opinion, that the one drug that is being repurposed from recreational intoxicants for legitimate therapeutic use, and there is solid data to support its efficacy and safety, is not allowed to be, or is not being supported to be tested in a way which would prove if it indeed would be the first treatment to prevent PTSD in military personnel. The other drugs that are being, as I say, kind of surreptitiously repurposed for medical use and broader access are now being targeted on military personnel and our veterans. And to me, this is really the height of all inappropriate and deceptive actions that we're taking in terms of a society, a government, and also to whatever degree the medical profession is complicit in this process because of the fact that our service persons who are now highly respected for putting themselves in harm's way to defend our liberties and are viewed as the most precious and vulnerable of individuals, you know, given the fact that they have rising rates of psychological injuries manifest as PTSD, as suicide, as addiction, and as other mental disorders that were seeking to introduce these medications or these substances as treatments before they've even be, been fully vetted to know how they work. And what this reflects to me is One, a desperation on the part of the powers that be, the Veterans Administration, the Defense Department, to find something that they believe has a chance of working at alleviating the distress these individuals are feeling without taking the time or putting in the effort and resources necessary to ensure that they are scientifically proven to be effective and are safe, not just in the short term, but in the long run. And this is absolutely shameful for two reasons. One is that we're just throwing something at the veterans because we don't have anything else that's effective and have this as a prospect of being helpful. And two, because it indicates the fact that not the full support and effort at trying to genuinely determine the underlying pathological basis of these conditions, why the military personnel are more susceptible to them now, and what treatments might genuinely work to either alleviate or even prevent these has been really provided. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that the Defense Department and the VA do not have in place a healthcare system that adequately addresses psychiatric problems that military personnel experience. And apart from what they incur during active service, when they're transferred following discharge to the VA, there's not a seamless handoff. Many people fall through the cracks. Those that do make it to the VA don't necessarily get adequate care, but many don't. Among the many manifestations of that are the increasing suicide rates, the addiction rates, the PTSD, the disability, the numbers of uh, vets who are homeless all manifestations of the inadequacy of the mental health care system provided through the military. Another example of this, which I've had direct contact with, is that a group of uh, civic-minded individuals with some affluence and are donors to uh, our medical school and hospital have stepped forward to say, we want to uh, finance a PTSD or a veteran's mental health treatment clinic that can provide care free of charge to any vets that want to seek it at our institution and may not have adequately received it uh, through the VA or wherever else they may have tried. So they've financed this program. The census of the clinic has grown over the uh, two years it's been in existence. And a variety of treatments, both conventional and new innovative or experimental ones, are being tried. Everything ranging from various types of exposure therapy, desensitization, pharmacologic treatment with antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications, but also things like pet therapy, including uh, equine therapy. And uh, we have an individual, uh, a Mr. Earl Mack, who is a successful real estate developer who formerly was in government roles as an ambassador to other countries, who uh, has really pioneered the idea of equine therapy for various types of psychological conditions. And this is now being used by the VA. Similarly, the other donors who have contributed to this effort in making the clinic available you know, feel similarly that this egregious neglect has to be addressed and they have, in effect, put their money where their mouth is. If our military is as precious as we give lip service to, why hasn't an all out effort been made to support research which gets to the bottom of this problem? Why are there more suicides now than ever? Why is there more PTSD? What is the pathological basis of PTSD? And why don't we fix our healthcare system for military personnel so that there's a seamless handoff from the active service to Veterans Administration instead of letting people fall through the cracks and allowing the service at VAs to be so inadequate? So what I believe is necessary is really twofold. One is I don't object to taking a chance on being experimental with allowing some conditional use of these recreational intoxicants for psychological conditions in military personnel if it appears to have promise. And that includes cannabis, includes the hallucinogens, ecstasy, or ketamine. But it has to be done in a rigorous way under controlled conditions where the results can be evaluated. Such Precedents have occurred before. We've seen it with AIDS. Uh, with AIDS and HIV, because of the lethality of these conditions, there was an expedited access to experimental drugs that could be effective for treating HIV that was allowed. We've seen similar kinds of humanitarian and broadening of access provided for cancer as well. So in this context, we're providing this conditional use Uh, for less than wholly proven treatments for our military while we determine whether they're indeed effective. And the second action is to then resource a research effort to study the reasons for why the military are afflicted with these conditions in such high rates and what treatments can genuinely be proven to be effective and then making them uniformly available. This can be done we need to declare, in effect, a Manhattan Project or a moonshot for addressing the mental health needs of the military. This is a select group of people. They have specific constitutional vulnerabilities by virtue of you know what this population consists of. They have also a unique kind of workplace experience being in the military, going through the training, being subject to combat experiences uh, when they're put in theaters of war. And we need to understand, just like we have done with combat traumatic physical injuries, where now the majority of people who are wounded uh, because of bombs, bullets, grenades on the uh, battlefield are immediately evac treated, stabilized, sent to a military hospital, and saved from these. We need to do the same thing with the mental casualties that occur and prevent them. And this can be done. It's just that the effort hasn't been made because they haven't been taken seriously, they haven't been prioritized enough. And simply allowing recreational intoxicants to be used without the usual level of scientific evidence uh, to treat them and accepting this at face value is just not sufficient. I'm not saying we shouldn't allow this to be done on a provisional basis, but I'm saying no one should believe that this is the right thing to do just by itself and it's being done in all the proper ways. So the good news is is that there is value in being able to recycle previous substances that were used for other uh, less important means, but it has to be done in a rigorous way under medically controlled conditions, while scientific research to prove what we think is being done and hope is the case uh, is actually uh, uh, proven. So I think that this is something which, although I'm being somewhat critical, I'm not trying to preclude altogether because I do think that it helps us to redirect much-needed attention and uh, effort which I hope will follow from the government, the DOD, the VA, the NIH, all relevant agencies of the government to address a problem which for far too long has not received sufficient attention. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman for Shrink Speak.